Welcome to Tarot for the End of Times, a podcast where we utilize the tarot as a tool to navigate through epochs of deep change. My name is Sarah Cargill. I'm an artist, cultural worker, and your host throughout the duration of this series. In each episode, I'll take a look at the archetypal figures presented in the Major Arcana cards from the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck to discuss what each card has to say about navigating through cycles of change, chaos, and instability. Throughout each episode, I'll offer reflection questions and suggestions for exercises that might support you in inviting the energy and wisdom of these archetypes into your daily life and practice. If you'd like to support this podcast and the person who makes it, you can make a monthly donation through my page on anchor.fm. Your generous act of community care and reciprocity helps me to access the resources I need to make projects like this possible and sustainable. You can also support this work by sharing this podcast with your friends and loved ones, and most importantly, by tuning in. Thanks for joining me. I don't know what it took for you to get here today, but I am so glad that we can arrive together. (sighs) Welcome to episode two. In this episode, I'll be introducing the first archetype of the series, but before we get there, let's establish a common definition for the word archetype. So, An archetype is a model from which other things are patterned. It's the container for a collection of symbols, imagery, settings, and situations concretized into a familiar standard or prototype that is then used to facilitate collective meaning-making. Evoking archetypes gives us a kind of shorthand way to communicate and perpetuate pervasive cultural narratives through a collection of symbols. An archetype is therefore both the source of collective imagination and the screen onto which we project images and expectations extracted from the collective imagination. In other words, archetypes serve a dual function as both source and outlet for the collective imagination. Humans are social creatures. We need social context to feel a sense of belonging. Archetypes are powerful because they allow us to connect to and emotionally invest in our environment, culture, and community through stories and characters that cultivate and reflect our shared experience. They can help us feel hailed and represented within a larger social context, which ultimately helps us make meaning of our circumstances. Because archetypes are representative of cultural codes and work to hold what is considered, quote, standard within the collective imagination, it can very quickly become weaponized against marginalized communities by acting as a filter through which to determine those who are welcome into community narratives and those who are alienated or erased from them. 
This is, in the social sciences, what we refer to as cultural hegemony. In the previous episode, I shared some of my reflections on why my first ever tarot deck wasn't quite working for me um, and how it kind of gave me the creeps. (laughs) What I didn't mention about this deck is that it exclusively borrows archetypes from Greek mythology and all figures on the deck are represented as white people from antiquity. So ancient whiteness, whiteness (laughs) 1.0. Uh, So, while I do think that there were spiritual aspects to tarot reading that I wasn't quite ready to take on at the time, I also think that my feelings of disconnect can be attributed to the cognitive dissonance that I experienced from attempting to work with archetypes that didn't represent me. It was a mismatch. Mismatched archetypal representations, or the social and cultural conditions that force marginalized people to identify with archetypes that don't represent us and are far removed from how we actually understand ourselves and experience the world, can imprint subtle but deeply impactful forms of psychologically and emotionally and spiritually damaging thought patterns. There is a kind of violence that we experience when we cannot find ourselves represented and accounted for in the collective imagination. This is what's called epistemic violence, which describes the harm that's inflicted on marginalized people when we are misrepresented, caricatured, or entirely erased from collective discourse. We're left to feel alone, suspended in ahistorosity, left to deal with our own diminished sense of humanity as we struggle to unlearn the beliefs that we are separate from the larger human experience or that our experiences are moot points. It keeps us perpetually locked into being other with a capital Oh, based on standards and rules that we didn't choose for ourselves. How we talk about our archetypes, and specifically, how we choose to construct or personify them within the collective imagination, matters. Representation alone isn't enough to repair the damage of cultural hegemony. But even so, This is one of the reasons why representation does, in fact, matter. This is why I currently work with versions of tarot decks that don't have white people on it. (laughs) For those of you who are curious, I primarily work with the Skeleton deck created by Cat Rocket Ship and the Kaleidodope deck by Crystal Banner. Both of these artists can be found on Etsy, by the way. I love both of these decks and really enjoy using them in tandem with one another as they each offer images that are more culturally relevant, which ultimately helps me internalize the meaning of each card and add depth to my interpretations of the archetypes that are presented in the original Rider Waitsmith deck. The Kaleidodope deck, in particular, offers images and symbols that resonate with me as a Black queer femme, which ultimately works in my favor when I do readings for myself and others. For example, 
it's much easier for me to recollect and understand the energy and messages of the Empress card when the figure representing the Empress is an illustration of pregnant Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter circa her epic pregnancy photo shoot from 2017 rather than a a medieval looking white lady. Working with culturally relevant images means that I don't have to engage in another layer of translation in order to interpret a spread. It is with this in mind that I introduce to you the first archetype of the major arcana. We begin our story with the fool, who is me, who is you, who is us, blissfully unaware of the challenges that await us in the journey ahead. That ignorant bliss, dear listeners, serves a purpose. It's the fuel we need to take a risk and begin again as if we have never been hurt before. Can you imagine? (laughs) The archetype of the fool is characterized as optimistic, enthusiastic, and perhaps a little bit naive. But... What the fool lacks in experience and foresight, they make up for in the unadulterated trust that they have in the larger unfolding. It is from that place of inexperience that the fool scrapes together the gumption to rise to the occasion. The energy of this card asks us to use our wide-eyed enthusiasm to generate the momentum we need to take that leap of faith. So, the Fool represents potential and the opening of a new chapter. Often depicted as an enthusiastic young adventurer, the figure in the Fool card carries a knapsack filled with essential but minimal belongings and, most importantly, a heart brimming with longing and hope for a fresh start. The fool delicately holds a symbol of innocence, a white rose, in their left hand, tilting their head back to greet the afternoon sun as they stand over the edge of a cliff, blissfully unaware of where the next step leads. Because a lot of my own spiritual practices are rooted in Black American traditions, I'm also noting the significance of the flower placement. The left hand typically holds the power to curse, hex, or bind, and is used in works that involve creating or removing obstacles. The left hand also holds the power to redirect malicious energy back to its sender. Now here's the thing. Within the context of my spiritual lineages, energy isn't inherently good or bad. Those labels are highly context-specific and can change depending on your vantage point. Both positive and negative energy are just different expressions of forces that trigger change, and we need to learn how to work with both in order to calibrate energetic balance. So to me, the white rose held in the fool's left hand points to the fool's lack of experience in working with left-handed energy and therefore 
their lack of experience in shaping change in this way. And that is actually more than okay. It's necessary. Behind the enthusiasm, the fool carries an awareness that the only way to earn their stripes is by walking the path. What can be perceived as lack of experience and awareness of the dangers ahead is actually what fuels the fool's potency. That which makes the fool so vulnerable is also what gives them their edge because it makes them unafraid. The wisdom of this card is in knowing that the unknown has its own divine purpose. It's important to remember that the fool is ruled by Uranus, the planet that ushers us into the future by way of bringing sudden revelatory change. Uranus is an electrifying planet and the change it brings often looks destructive on the surface. Being ruled by the jolting, volatile energy of this planet means that the fool, despite their lack of earthly experience, is prepared to meet the change with enthusiasm because change is a core part of who they are. Their most important job in this stage of the journey is to show up. The fool is accompanied by a loyal companion, typically a dog, to remind them that traveling along one's own path doesn't mean doing so in isolation. The dog can represent a loyal companion, our ancestors, or the trust and companionship that we cultivate within ourselves. In either case, we are always in communion, whether we know it or not. The Fool is the very first card of the entire tarot deck and is represented by the number zero. This is a detail I've grown to appreciate as I deepen my relationship with this practice because for me, the zero represents the sacred relationship, the inextricable link between beginnings and endings. It speaks to the necessity of just transitions as a pathway to just beginnings. Consider for a moment the etymology of the word chaos. Chaos comes from the Greek word, also chaos, uh, I guess spelled with a K, which translates to vast chasm, emptiness, void. This emptiness isn't so much characterized by lack or absence, but rather describes the volatile formlessness of pure potential of source energy. Zero speaks to the kinetic velocity of nothingness that propels our cycles. The insistent call to shape chaos is reflected in the numerological significance of the fool. The fool must face the formlessness of zero with enthusiasm and just enough optimism to allow themselves the risk. Representing zero means that the fool can be placed both at the beginning and at the end of the major arcana. This reminds us that within the space of pure potential, of chaotic nothingness, how you end something is how you begin something else. The choice to close one thing is the choice to open another. How do you wish to begin anew, to transition? The zero reminds us that 
even when cycles look familiar, it's imperative to the journey to approach each growth cycle with the spirit of a beginner. The spirit of the beginner is a powerful, precious thing that can be encumbered by knowing too much at the wrong time. For example, let's say that you've noticed that every time you start a new project, job, or relationship, that you're met with recurring snags or that things tend to fizzle out or even blow up in similar ways that it may have in the past. Things keep ending before they're given a chance to take root. The fool may show up in this case to encourage you to explore other entry points or to study the themes of your previous chapters so that you may apply them to your next chapter with confidence and discernment. Again, how one cycle ends will shape how the next one begins. I believe that the universe is a patient but firm teacher and will often present the same lessons in different ways until you really, really get it. (laughs) The fool is all in. They're committed to putting their skin in the game. Within the context of navigating destabilizing change, the fool reminds us to travel light, by which I mean this. Pack only what you need to protect your light. Allow yourself to get reacquainted with the quality of your luminosity by shedding anything that dims your light. Get clear about what you absolutely need to sustain your light and what you can do without. The full card indicates that now is the time to fan the embers of your most persistent desires. When the full card is in the upright position, I pause to consider the silent longings that light me up from the inside out and contemplate what it would look like to take that excitement seriously. What is percolating in that heart space of yours, friend? What choices would you make in this moment if you were to take your longing seriously? If you're someone who frequently asks, what if this doesn't work? The Fool card offers a counter question. What if it does? Now, some tarot readers read reversal cards and some don't. In my experience, cards that show up in the reverse often shift the focus or the energy of the spread. So here I will be talking about reversal readings. Reversals can typically indicate past energy, so something that's already happened, or it can indicate the release or blockage of the energy of that card. It could also indicate the energy of that card being turned inward in some way. In other words, it could be more of a reflection of your internal landscape than your external circumstances. Reversals aren't just the negation or inverse meaning of any given card. It can also indicate some kind of toxic attachment or detrimental expression of the energy of that card. The meaning of a reversal card is shaped by the context provided by the rest of the spread that you're reading. So these definitions of reversals are not 
static. The energy of the fool in reverse swings between rigid tentativeness and recklessness. So on the one hand, it could indicate that you may be holding back or resisting forward movement in some way. I compare it to the feeling of anticipatory dread that comes just as you're about to finish a marvelous book or a gripping show. You don't want to turn to the next page or watch the last episode because, well, then what? (laughs) On the other hand, it could indicate decisions that were made in haste or prematurely. While the fool in the upright position speaks to having all that you need to take the next step, the fool in reverse might indicate that more reflection, time, skill, or resources are needed to make sound choices. Again, the specific reading will depend on the context provided by the rest of your spread. But in either case, the fool offers us lessons that teach us how to discern the difference between real openings and false starts. The fool reminds us that the difference between fear and excitement lies within our perspective. It is then a particularly useful archetype to call upon when you notice that your attachment to the past keeps you from being able to experience the excitement of new beginnings. Again, there is a trade-off with the fool. You cannot begin a new cycle without completing an old one. Reinvention and resurrection come at a price. The cost of your old life. I like to invite the energy of the fool into my life by engaging in activities that activate my sense of awe. So that feeling of simultaneous reverence, wonder, and just a hint of nervousness to keep us at a respectful distance away from the alchemical process. This might look like attending a local exhibition or performance offered by artists whose work inspires and challenges me. Awe helps us to see the world with fresh eyes and reactivate our belief in divine mystery, which can then, hopefully, allow us to trust in divine cosmic timing. Sometimes it's just fun to do things that I'm bad at, especially if it's an activity or a choice that nurtures my inner child. I take those opportunities to notice what delights me and to make myself available to surprises. Whatever you decide to try to welcome this energy of the fool, you let your choices be anchored in that which feeds your inner light. Another way to work with the Fool card is to reconsider the things that you stop yourself from getting excited about. How has the fear of disappointment or failure prevented you from investing in your joy? In what ways might you offer yourself joy as a counter-movement to fear? For many of us, particularly those who have survived traumas around lack, self-worth, and abandonment, allowing ourselves to get excited can feel utterly dangerous. Joy can sometimes trigger wounded parts of ourselves that tell us that we're not worthy of the joy that we experience. So 
first of all, same. Um, but it is with this awareness, right, that we can craft low stakes activities to cultivate a sense of joy and pleasure. So start small, baby. There is a lot of joy to be found in the mundane. It is in the space where mundanity and pleasure intersect that we begin to cultivate simple rituals that inspire ease and pleasure. Rituals are anchoring and establish a foundation onto which we can build more expansive versions of ourselves. They also help us stay connected to our own sacredness and primes us to be in tune with the magic that unfolds in the day-to-day. So I invite you to think about what's accessible for you right now in this moment and go from there. It's important to be mindful that the emotional high embodied by the fool is ephemeral, temporary. The challenge that we are ushered into when working with the fool energy involves building our capacity to conjure, fully feel, and then release our attachment to the emotional high, knowing that the purpose of that feeling is to propel us into what's next. It's not meant to be held onto forever. This energy is meant to be transmuted. Any attempts to bottle up and keep something that is by nature ephemeral and fleeting defeats the purpose and can ironically prevent us from beginning the next leg of our journey in fear that we will somehow lose something that was never meant to be contained in the first place. Being intentional and being controlling are two different things. The fool asks us to make space for intentional transitions by releasing things that keep us tethered to molted versions of ourselves. What are you willing to relinquish, compost, reinvent to prepare the soil in which your new reality takes root? What are you unwilling to let go of? And what does this reveal about where fear grips you? How might this help you take inventory of what really matters? If you don't feel ready for the change that simultaneously terrifies and excites you, what would it look like to take the first step anyway? As we come to a close in today's episode, I invite you to inquire within and trust your process. Thanks for listening.